Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, evidently I'm Carlos Davides, everybody. Um, my name's Gary. Uh, sorry to disappoint you. I've been on staff here for a while, and it's great, great to be with you. We're in this series called Love Does, and we're talking about the overwhelming love of God, how it flows out of us uh, to others. And today we're talking about how love unleashes generosity. And so if you have uh, your Bible study notes, grab them. And I want to give a caveat to begin with. If you are here and you're not a person of faith or you don't necessarily believe in Jesus or follow Jesus, uh, you picked a great Sunday to come. And this pertains to you as well. I will uh, be quoting some people outside of faith in Christ. What I'm talking about is just logical and the best way to live. Uh, And so I'm glad you're here. We know every Sunday we get people in all places on their journey of faith, and um, we love it. We love it. Join us as we journey in our faith too. That's what we want to do. Okay. Let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Are you ready? Awesome. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you. Thank you for you. Um, gosh, we sung it. You are the cornerstone alone. We can build our life on you. Our life makes sense through you. Life doesn't make sense apart from you. So God, please give us insight right now. As we dig through your word, show us who you really are. We want to live well with our one and only life. We want to live significantly. Um, we want to live abundantly because you promised it, Jesus. We pray for that in Christ's name. Everyone said, amen. All right. Did you know there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible? 7,000 times God promises things. And with every promise, as one pastor said, there's a premise attached to it. So God promises things, but puts, if you will, conditions on his promises. Of all the promises of God, the premise that's used more often than not is the premise of generosity. Of generosity. In the Bible, the word believe, it's a pretty big word, right, for people that read the Bible, is used 272 times. The word pray is used 371 times in the Bible. The word give, I'm sorry, love, is used 714 times. That's an important word, right, to us of faith. We better love, right? The word give, though, is used 2,152 times. In the Bible. Now, why is that? Because God's a giver. And if God wasn't generous, where would we be? We wouldn't have anything if God wasn't generous. We wouldn't have life. We wouldn't have breath. We wouldn't have this. We wouldn't have each other. So there's no way we can do a series called Love Does without talking about generosity. Because at its core, love is generous. I had my daughter with me, and her name's Jojo, my youngest, and I was telling her how much I love her. But imagine if I said I love you, but never gave her my time, never gave her my attention, never took her out for fro- uh, frozen yogurt Friday, as we call it, never gave her a treat, never gave her a Christmas gift. My words, I love you, would fall short in that case. So, we've got to talk about generosity. Now, let me get a show of hands. How many of you would say God has blessed you? Awesome. How many of you want to be more blessed? Yeah. What's the alternative, right? Let's try that. How many of you want to be cursed? 
Right, more blessed. Okay, I want to show you the verse in this. Look at this, Acts 20. Let's read the verse from Jesus in your notes on the screen. Acts 20, verse 35. Are you ready? Here's what uh, the Apostle Paul is meeting with this church leadership team uh, in Ephesus in the Middle East. And he's saying this to him. He's saying goodbye. It's in the context of his goodbye. He's saying, in everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, it's easy to read that through our Western eyes and go, oh, that's great. He's talking about the offering. It's more blessed to give an offering than to receive an offering. I don't know. In the West here, I kind of think, gosh, receiving 100 bucks, giving 100 bucks, I don't know what's more blessed, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. The word blessed there, the word means um, it's a state of mind. It's not a material thing. It means a state of fulfillment and joy and happiness mixed together. Jesus had no intention of that word ever being tied to anything material when he taught it. Because his hearers had nothing material. Two-thirds of them were slaves in the Roman Empire. They were peasants. They were poor. And Jesus has the audacity to begin his most famous sermon seven times saying, you're going to be blessed. You're going to have a state of mind that is joy and fulfillment, contentment and happiness all wrapped together. And here he's saying that comes when we give, not one time, but when we have an orientation around giving as opposed to trying to live life with an orientation of what's in it for me. As a matter of fact, I put on page one the TGV. You've heard of the Today's Gary version? Yeah, that's it. Here it is. Paid a lot of money in seminary for this. Happy is the person whose life, here's what this meant, is ordered around giving rather than getting. And you know that. That's just logical. Self-centered people usually aren't fulfilled people. Miserly people are what? Miserable. Other-centered people are the most joy-filled people I've ever met. That's what he's saying. And you want proof? Look around you. This church, we value, look at the top left, giving generously. I'm preaching this message after our fiscal year close where we had the biggest fiscal year giving than ever before. And we gave almost 25% of what came in off our campus to causes locally and around the world. This church both was generous in the people in the pew, us, and generous with our budget, putting resources off the hill, if you will, than we've ever been in our lifetime. And you know the amazing thing? Doors are opening up that are just crazy. God is saying it's so blessed. We have this community that meets at 10 o'clock down at uh, Haas Elementary School. They're called PCC Hudson. Those people gave, literally. They left the comfort of a pew. They sit in metal chairs in a MUR, multiple-use room, and worship Jesus, and they're trusting God as they've gone to build his kingdom there at Haas Elementary School. And we have a relationship. Uh, well, we didn't have a relationship with their principal, and rightly so, because we live in a pluralistic, post-Christian culture. The principal is kind of skeptical. And when our pastor of that community, his name's Scott, went and knocked on his door. He kind of just said, hey, you're here on Sunday. And nice guy, but just kind of said, just keep your distance and stay in your lane. 
And over time, as they've met week after week after week, and we found needs at Haas Elementary School and just met them, uh, we've seen God soften this principal's heart to the point where it came time for Haas Elementary School, their year-end party, and they call it a, a fiesta, I think. And, um, but it's the whole school and their parents, and there wasn't enough resources there, and the principal turned to the Hudson community and said, can you throw the party? And they said, thank you for asking. And they jumped in, and you want to see joy. I wish you could have been there. Uh, I wasn't even there, but I heard about it, like PCC threw the party. And for the whole community, and the principal stood up in the middle of it and said, hey, I want you to know, if you don't have a church, I mean, he's not even part of our community. If you don't have a church, come Sunday. This is a, he became our biggest advocate. This is a great church. you got to come. And those people in the PCC Hudson community are so full of life. Why? Because they're giving. Do you know right now we have two other schools that have come to us this last week? Two other schools called PCC and said, one said, would you please worship in our community? Uh, another one said, would you please do what you do? We have low morale on this campus with our teachers. Do what you do. They were referring to Beautiful Day. Would you come and come alongside us? Like, who gets this as a church for the schools to call us and ask for our help? It is more blessed to give and re than receive, okay? So even if you don't follow Jesus or the value unleashing generosity is new to you, it's relevant for all of us been proven in so many fields of study. How many of you guys remember a person from your college days named Carl Menninger? Did that name ring a bell? Carl Menninger? If there was a Hall of Fame in psychiatry, this guy would be in it. Look at this quote that he put. Money is giving. I'm sorry. Money giving is a very good criterion of a person's mental health. Generous people are rarely mentally ill people. Interesting. So since the Bible is so full of the commands and rewards of generosity, here's my question. I've been asking myself in preparation for this. If it's so true, honestly, here's my question. Why aren't we more generous? If you had that experience with your time, which frankly around here is a more valuable commodity than our money. If you've had that experience where you've given your time, students, you've gone to Mexico and given up a whole week, or you ask these interns at the end of the internship when they're bone tired, but so full of life, why don't we orient our lives around giving more? I would just say, I think it's a matter of perspective. I know it's a matter of perspective. It's a perspective for me, and it's a perspective for you. So I want to talk about a perspective that fuels generosity. And right from the start, I got to tell you, because everyone's always... Uh, and I get it, um, a little bit leery of generosity messages. Trust me, I don't want anything from you. We've already taken the offering. <laughs> I want something for you. I want you freed up, just like I want myself freed up from the stranglehold of self-centered living. So we're going to talk about perspective, okay? So open to page two, and let's, let's dig into a few perspectives, okay, that I see in Scripture when it comes to giving. Uh, here's the first, the bag perspective. The bag perspective, and this is the most prevalent on our peninsula. That perspective says there's not enough. There's not enough. The bag perspective. We don't have enough to be generous. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. And how I grew up, this was my perspective growing up. This is what I was trained in in my house, and this is what I grew up innately with. We're going to go to an Old Testament passage in a book called Haggai. Everyone say, Haggai. 
Yeah, 500 years before Christ, and the community of faith, they were Jewish, the community of faith uh, was not God-centered. These are people we're going to read a passage about living in Jerusalem uh, at the time when a prophet, builder, king, governor, not king, but governor named Nehemiah. Does that ring a bell? Right? If you're new here, we just spent 13 weeks studying the book of Nehemiah in 2018. He's a contemporary of Nehemiah. And you get a glimpse of what the community of faith was like before Nehemiah entered it. And look what happened. They're, they loved God, but only when it was convenient. They wanted God, but not at the top of their priority, at the center of their lives. Look what Haggai says, the spokesman, that's what a prophet is for God. He says this, and here's what I love about this. He appeals to logic, not to faith. He says, look, you've sown much, but you've harvested little. They were agrarian, right? You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You never have your fill. You keep clothing yourself, but no one's warm. And here's the line. And he who earns wages, and back then they didn't have banks, they didn't have Apple Pay, they didn't have any of that stuff, right? They only had a bag. What you'd get, you put in your bag and you'd protect it and you'd carry it with you wherever you went. He says, just think with me. Because you're not putting God first, it's as if your life is putting money into bags with holes. Interesting, right? It's captured so many people inside and outside this church. We don't believe and we don't put God first because we believe there's never enough. And what comes in seems to go right out. Whenever we get ahead, it gets sucked up through new tires or an accident or increased rent or things like that. The bag perspective. These people place their faith in the bag, not in God. Uh, Thursday night I was at dinner uh, was with some staff. I'm sorry, Wednesday night I was at dinner with some staff and um, it came time for dessert. It was a great dinner, but I was too full for my own dessert. And so I'd been a member of the staff team with some people for a while and there was just four of us. And so we went to order and my colleague, he'll remain nameless, but uh, Brian Wren ordered and um, he ordered chocolate cake. Dude loves chocolate. And I said, I'll just have some of this chocolate cake when it came to me. And he turned to me immediately and he said, I don't share my chocolate cake. I said, what do you mean? I'm like, come on, man, we had something here. And he said, uh, no, I don't share my chocolate cake. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And we just kept talking. I'm like, I won't have anything. Why did he not share his chocolate cake? Brian Wren loves chocolate. And he thought, man, I want it for me. He's not a greedy person. He just loves chocolate, right? So then the chocolate came, cake came. It was huge. And then he's like, geez, I'll share the cake with you now. <laughs> now, frankly, Brian does that not because he's not generous. If you know Brian, he's one of the most generous people you know. Uh, he's just a germaphobe. And my fork going to his cake, as a matter of fact, he like cut it off, put it over, you know, washed his hands, you know, did the whole thing. <laughs> but I was driving home and God convicted me and he said, you know, Gary, you're a lot like that, that cake incident. You don't think I'm going to give you enough. So you put in your order called prayer before you even give out and you just want to keep it all to yourself. That's bag perspective thinking. This is what I grew up in. My father, great man, very religious, but not Christ-centered, very religious. But he as a baby was, lived in the depression. He still remembers what it was like to go without. 
had haunted him with fear of money his whole life to the point where he couldn't enjoy what God had given him. And nor could he resource it to his full capacity uh, to causes around the world. Do you have a bag perspective? Is that you? Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 8. Now we're going to a different metaphor, back to the harvesting one. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. So in that day, now we're in New Testament times, you had your seed bag, and that was your whole wealth. That was your total, total net worth. And so you'd take a bag, a handful of seeds, and you had a decision to make. Do I throw it and scatter it and trust that in a few months this will become better and bigger? Or do I hold on to it? It's a tough choice. You make it every day, every week, every month. The Apostle Paul said, whoever sows sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Again, appealing to our logic. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And then he says, each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a what? Do you know that's the same? It's a, written in Greek, but the origins, origins of that word is the same word as hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. You know, we do actually track the emotional wave that this service goes through. Uh, rarely has it happened when it came time to offering that the service peaked emotionally. But in the Old Testament, that was the case. God loved giving so much, and he wanted to be so joyful. In Jerusalem and in Judaism, he designed four different festivals in Jerusalem around giving. He's like, this is so cool. Let's throw a party for giving. Come from all over Jerusalem for these festivals, and we will celebrate giving by way of festival. So there you go, bag giving. Why, do we, why does God want this? Look what it says at the end. And God... Can you go to the next verse? Thanks. And God is what? Some of you, that's the whole reason you're here today for that line. You're praying for something and your bag perspective, whether it's faith or resources or time or relational energy, it's all in the bag. You were never designed. I was never designed to live naturally if we're in Christ. We are designed to live supernaturally. So don't place your faith in the bag because God is able. What's he able to do? To bless you abundantly so that in all, everyone say all, all things at times having, okay, we don't sound convinced. I want to say this humbly and this is in my notes. That's the problem. We're not convinced. So we put our faith in our bag. And we play it safe. Grace to all of us. And we'll end this on grace. And we'll talk about grace throughout, hopefully. But God says, no, no, no. I'm able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, Having all you need, you may represent me by being abundant too. That's what this whole sermon series is about. Being abundant with our love. And abundant with our time. And abundant in relationship. Because that's how God is with us.
Amen? Okay, bag perspective. Let's go to the next one. A basket perspective. A back basket perspective. Uh, the mindset there is there's more than enough. There's more than enough. Remember, I grew up in a bag perspective, and uh, God just changed that through a dating relationship in college. I dated, my first girlfriend in college was with a, a pastor's daughter, and her name is Karen, still is, and I remember, um, uh, why did I have to say that? But we're at First Baptist Church in Sacramento. My, my first church experience as a follower of Christ, it comes time for the offering, and I didn't grow up giving an offering, and Karen, a sophomore in college, pulls out her wallet and drops a 20 in. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, and she told me this. It's the first time I heard it. I've never forgotten it. Carrie, you can't outgive God. And I'm like, it blew my mind. I did the math, and for her, I'm like, I know you don't make that much money. But she, was, she didn't want a bag perspective. She was trusting God with her giving. That started me thinking, and in college, when I started to make the shift from bag mentality to basket perspective, and I'm not the poster child on giving, but I'm just t- telling you. And the perspective on basket giving is this. There's more than enough. There's more than enough. Let's see this in the Bible. Look what it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says this. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure. Now look at this. Press down shaken together and running over. It will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured you. Why would Jesus teach this? Jesus understood this very basic principle of life with our stuff or our love or our emotions or whatever. What we keep is all we have. What we give away, God multiplies. That's the principle he's trying to teach. What you keep, that's all you have. But what you give away, God multiplies. Now, the imagery of this passage is amazing. Um, Marin, can you go back to the verse slide? Uh, it's amazing. Uh, back in that day, the, the vineyard owner or field owner would have grain, and there would be two types of people that would harvest the grain. The first type would be the day laborers. And they'd have baskets, and they'd fill their grain only three quarters full in the basket because they had to, whatever they had in the basket, pick up and walk way over here to where the barn was and pour it out. Then they'd go back and all day long, that would be their job. Fill the basket, walk a long way, pour it out into the barn. Fill the basket, walk a long way, pour it out into the barn. But God always had a heart for the poor. And so he told landowners who were Jewish, only harvest a certain percentage of your crop. I want you to leave a certain percentage for the poor. And then invite the poor to come and glean. Does anyone know the most famous Old Testament gleaner? She's a woman. Ruth, right. And that's a, actually a painting of Ruth. The poor would come with their one and only basket. Only one. And they knew whatever I put in the basket was my food for the week. And so they come into the field, and how would they fill their basket? Three quarters full, like the day laborers? No. What, you know what they would do? They would press it down, then shake it, press it down again, put more in, shake it, and when they left, it would be running over. Because they knew that's my one and only basket. 
And so what God is saying, the whole point of his teaching, Jesus is saying, our God is a generous master. And when we're faithful with little, he'll give back abundantly. How will he give back? A good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Now in the West, we constantly think, and you're thinking it right now, what are you talking about? Are you saying if I give, God will give back financially? No. That may or may not happen. Remember, our definition of bless had nothing to do with material things. It had everything to do with things much more valuable than material goods. A feeling of contentment, joy, fulfillment, all wrapped up in one, like you're living life how you're supposed to live. And God says, when you reorient your life, Jesus is saying, towards me and the kingdom, it will come back to you, pressed down, shaken, running over. It's the whole point. Why does he do that? Look at this next verse. It's in your notes. This is why he does this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Generous with your love. Generous with your time. Generous with your resources. Why does God bless us? To be a blessing. Friends, this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, first book of the Bible, where God called the first man he called to become the father of our faith, Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Jesus is just pulling this through, and Paul is just pulling this through, who wrote this passage. Why are we blessed? So we can be generous on every occasion. That's why we value giving generously. So through us, this is so amazing, your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God. Come on, it's an open book test. Through us, your generosity will result in what? How else do you want to live? I mean, imagine getting to heaven one day, and you will if you're a part of PCC, and you have uh, kids come up to you, you have adults come up to you, you have people come up to you with different color skin or not, different gender or not, speaking a different language, although in heaven we'll all know and speak the language of heaven. You know what that is, right? Italian. But saying to you, can I get an amen? That's the most excited you've been all sermon. <laughs> and they'll say, thanks. I'm worshiping Jesus because of you. Because, you know, as Brian Wren says, you gave to the PCC Mutual Fund when that plate went by. And that missionary reached me with the love of Jesus. I wouldn't be here without you. I'm so thankful to God. That day you'll know it's worth it, right? The basket perspective. God is more than enough. Now, there's one more I want to get to really quickly, and it's this. And, and, and very few make the leap from basket to barn, but they're here, and I want this for all of you. Why do I want this? Can, can I just tell you why I want this? Uh, I can't talk about your heart. Like, at the end of the day, you, you have me here and have called me to be your pastor to shepherd your heart, right? Uh, I can't shepherd your heart without talking about giving because Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Uh, so unashamedly, I'm telling you this, not because we need money or because we, you know, we're going to take an offering in a minute. That's not it. I'm just putting that caveat out there. I want nothing from you. I want things for you. 
and I'll tell you what that is in about five minutes. The barn perspective, that there's infinitely more than enough. This is living. This is living. They've grown from a bag to trusting God is faithful with their basket, and it's so good that they see God give them barn-sized faith. Some have the gift of faith, but others have trained their soul to be generous. And by the way, generosity has everything to do with an attitude, nothing to do with net worth. I'm not talking about the rich people or the ones, and we're all rich in perspective of the world, but it's not just for the rich, right? Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 to 10. Katie read it. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And look at this word. This is the key word. The first fruits of all your crops. There's the premise. Okay, let me just tell you, that word honor, the word means to give weight to. It's written in Hebrew in the Old Testament. Uh, that day, they put things on scale, and what weighed more was more valuable. And so the author of Proverbs is saying, let God be more valuable. Give him more weight. By the way, that word honor uh, is not honor unless it's expressed through action. That's what's distinct to that. So you know what? Um, how we do that, there's the premise. Honor God with your wealth. And here's the key word. There's a direct line between honor and this next word, first fruits. Has anyone ever heard of that word? First fruits. What does it mean? Again, go back to agrarian living. It's a life lived in such a way where you don't just give. You give God first. You give God first. You're doing this today. You have first day of your week. Here you are. Barn perspective people are like, you know what? I am committed to gathering with the church. As a matter of fact, I, you wrestle with this. You'll never live into your full redemptive potential or be who Jesus wants you to be apart from this. You can't. You cannot be a follower of Christ apart from this. And then when the day comes, they give God the first fruits of their day. God, I have 24 hours. I'm giving you the first minutes of my day. I don't know what's ahead. I know I'm way too busy, so I'm going to give you the first fruits of my day. We have barn givers in the first search, uh, service, and they came up to me afterwards, not in, in, not in pride, in complete humility. She's like, you know what? I've been doing that. I've been giving God, and, and just please, this isn't the standard. I'm just sharing a story, okay? This is not the standard. She says, I've been getting up from 1 to 3 in the morning and giving God my first two hours of the day. It's like, I, I, like he's made up for my sleep. I feel more alive. God's meeting me in incredible ways. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And then when it comes to their finances, first fruits givers, we call it around here, prioritize, plan, percentage giving. They look at the year out and they go, God, we don't know really what's going to come in, but we're committing to you our first of every paycheck. We're not going to give you leftovers at the end of the month. We're going to give you the first and our best, and we'll live off the rest. That's called first fruits living. And God says, you want to honor me? Maybe there's more to that than, you know, singing loudly or carrying a big Bible or doing things like that. You really want to honor me? Live first fruits. And you see, you see what I'll do in your life. Do you know in the Bible, we're actually told in the Bible there's only one place where God says, test me. He's like, I double dog dare you. Come on, put me to the test. And very few followers of his do it. But you read it for yourself. It's the Italian book in the Bible, Malachi. No, it's Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. 
Same group of people that Haggai spoke to. And he says, test me in this. Give me your first, Malachi 3.10, give me your first and your best and see if I won't open the storehouses of heaven and pour out blessing. Again, blessing, immaterial sense of fulfillment, contentment, peace. Isn't that the very reason we hold back? No, no, just think with me. I know I'm over time, but I, I, I just want to just stick with me. Why is it that Gary Gadini doesn't give more? Because of my bag thinking or my basket thinking, I go, you know what? I got to hold back so I'd be blessed because that thing that I'm holding back for is going to fulfill me. And God says, no, test me. I will fulfill you if you put me first and give me your best in ways you could never be fulfilled by whatever's in the bag. It's crazy. And maybe I know, I could see it on some of our faces. This is crazy. I would just say to us humbly, and I say it to myself because I think I've been preaching this to myself. It's only crazy because I have a skewed perspective. I wonder, and I'm going to wrap it up with this, if from heaven's perspective, God doesn't say to me, you're way better than me, so I'll just use the man in the mirror. Can we just sing Michael Jackson right now? I'm looking at the man. Okay. Um, it's too late. Um, but honestly, I wonder if God doesn't say to Gary Gadini, that's crazy? Gary, let me tell you what crazy is. I gave my son for you. I have blessed you with life. I've blessed you with rich relationships. I've blessed you with experience where you have said multiple times to me, take me now because it's not going to get any better than this of fellowship and love and being used by me. I've left my spirit with you. You're not orphaned. We sung about that. I turned you as an orphan into a son. I've blessed you with eternity to look forward to when this world gets crazy and it's crazy. And you can't give me the first minutes of your day? I'm not asking for it all. I'm just asking for your first fruits. I wonder if heaven doesn't say to me, Gary Gadini, that's crazy. Giving first fruits isn't crazy. But from my perspective, your bag mentality, Gary, that's crazy. What do I want you to do with this? Nothing. You don't do half of what I say anyway right? I'm not your God. I'm not your savior. Thank God. I don't want you to do anything. I'm praying that you would be something generous, generous with your time, generous when we go and break at the most important part of our gathering and we go into the city and people need eye contact or need a moment of a human moment where you look into their eye and say, hello. Generous when God tugs on your heart with your resources. That's what I want you to be. And that's God's job. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord, for this time. Thanks for these people. Uh, I know those who are here for the first time may not know this. Those who are here often do. I love them so much. I'm so grateful I would not be who I am without them. Thanks for your word. I could say the same and more so about you, Jesus. Thanks for making us fully human. God, only you can change our perspective from bag to barn. Uh, and we ask that you would do that. Take us to the basket. 
Take us to the barn. Use our one and only life for your glory. A city is calling us. Thank you. Help us to give love, the gospel, faith, prayer, resources to a hurting city. We pray this in Christ's name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.